number one excuse for panhandling is I need money to get in the mission. The charge that the vast majority of them say is $7 a night. There is not a mission in Memphis that charges $7 a night, okay? When we moved into this new building in the week of, of Thanksgiving, we became the first free shelter for the uh, city of Memphis. So every men's shelter has always charged money to get in, and it's ironic people feel bad about that, but it's like every shelter has been full. If it was such a bad deal, why are we full all the time? This coming Saturday, October 15th, Jeff Patrick will be celebrating a few milestones in his life, and he's got this incredible, or can we say crazy way he's going to do it. Jeff Patrick's here in the studio with us today. Hi, and welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. Jeff, what is this notion you're going to ride your bicycle Saturday for 60 miles? Hey, Byron, it's good to be with you again. So, <laughs> yes, uh, this year I turned 60 years old. and so Welcome to the club, by the way. Uh, yes, it's good to be here, huh? And But this is, uh, to celebrate that, I'm going to be riding my bicycle 60 miles. What I'm asking people to do is consider giving a dollar per mile to the Memphis Union Mission. We've also got some other things. I'm celebrating uh, 40 years of being saved. I was baptized on Halloween night back in 1982. And then I've been working down at the Memphis Union Mission for 20 years. So I'm excited. We've got a lot of things that we can celebrate. A lot of things to celebrate. We're excited for you. So we really want to tell our friends about this milestone that you're doing, especially this bike ride on Saturday and how they can participate by just $1 per mile can be donated to the Memphis Union Mission. I think you can go to the website, if I'm not mistaken. Give us those details. Right. You go to MemphisUnionMission.org. You hit the donate button and then you select how much you want to give. You can either do 50, 100 or an amount there. And then you go to under Project Destination, Go Jeff 60, fill in the information. It's just real easy to give that way. What a great way to support the mission and to encourage you, too, to be able to celebrate with 60 miles. And I think the longest I've ever ridden my bike was about 33 miles, and that's been a few years ago. And I love cardio. I love riding and been enjoying the Green Line for a while now. But this has been a journey, and you and I have talked about our weight. Both of us have been... On roller coaster weight loss, right. you know, up and down in, in different ways and dealing now with some new health issues that's kind of challenging those desires I have to exercise even more. But talk about that for you. What's it been like for you with dealing with uh, weight and trying to maintain a balanced, healthy life? So just like you, I had some weight issues. Uh, my father died of diabetes at an early age of 64. Uh, my mother's father died of diabetes. So I've got it on both sides of my family, pre-diabetic for many years, and so needed to lose the weight. Got on keto and really lost some weight and, and kept it off. But then COVID hit, and they gained all the weight back plus some more. And I can't blame COVID. It was my fault. But then I, I found another diet that worked real well. And so we've lost right at 60 pounds over the last six months. And I'm doing it primarily to not have diabetes. Type 2 diabetes is a disease of diet uh, for most people. And so sure enough, my blood sugar has gone down. Losing its weight, my blood pressure has gone down. I've gotten off some of my blood pressure medicines and stuff. And so I'm feeling a lot better. And I know there's a lot of guys listening who they can do 100 miles. They're Century Club riders. But I've only done about 25 or 30 miles uh, um, from on weekends and stuff like that. And it just came to me, why not try to do 60 uh, miles. And so I began working up to that. I did 20 miles this morning. I got up at five and I went out and rode around the Kaiva area. 
I think the farthest I, I've ridden was this past weekend. I went right at 50 miles. Yeah. How'd you feel? I don't know how I'm going to do another <laughs> 10 miles, to be honest with you. But anyway, so I've got a riding partner, and we're going to ride together. He's going to ride some of the miles with me. And uh, we do a lot of it on the Green Line, uh, a lot of it on the Wolf River Parkway, where they've got some good uh, riding lanes and stuff like that to be safe. Yeah. But anyway, just this morning, it was 61 degrees out there. It was cool. And I can tell you this, Byron, I would rather ride in the coolness of the fall than the heat of the summer. Yes, I'll tell you what, that makes a difference. It makes your lungs feel better, too. It does. <laughs> it, it really does. And, and But here's where it helped me out. This pushing all summer long to ride in, in the uh, summertime, it helped me because, you know, I went to Israel a few weeks ago. I know. Ago, We're going to talk about that. And, and I want to tell you that uh, I think it conditioned me for the heat of Israel. We, oh we goodness. did a lot of hiking, walking yes. with Chris Hodges and yep. some other guys. And had I not gone and pushed myself this summer to ride, uh, I would not have been able to do that trip so well. That's something we'll discuss more about the, the trip to Israel, because I've been to Israel myself, and I know the heat you're talking about. Certain times of the year you go, and I went twice in one year, so when I went in, I think, late May, early June, was very hot. You could see some temperatures well over 100, very arid, and yes. desert-type weather conditions and heat. And then I went back in late October, early November, and that is like the perfect time to right. go to Israel weather-wise. You don't feel the intensity of that at all, and it makes it quite more comfortable. But you do a lot of walking. If you're going to go on a tour group, if you're going to see the sights, you're going to walk a lot. And we had some of our people in our group that was close to 80 years old, right. and they were getting around as well or better than I was, you know. And so, uh, but it does help to, if you're especially planning a trip to Israel, right. to be in shape. But for the past 20 years, Jeff, You've worked Sundays preaching and teaching from God's Word down at the mission. What has God taught you by being pastor to our homeless community? Well, I feel like I'm a shepherd among sheep and some goats out there. My favorite book is Shepherd of the Hills. You and I have a, a oh, connection yeah. in Branson. We love that. Yeah. But I see myself as that shepherd on the shepherd of the hills, just out among the people, loving them, doing the best that I can, uh, doing whatever I can do to help guys, whether it's to provide a bus ticket, whether it's to stop and pray for guys that are hurting. There's a lot of hurt that goes on down there. So I heard someone say that a shepherd needs to smell like a sheep. Now, not that I need to smell like a homeless guy, but I need to be among my guys enough to where people can tell that I've been with them. And so I, I walk among the homeless for 20 years now. I've got to know a lot of guys. Some come in and are gone. Others have been there quite a while. And it's just been a pleasure to be down at Memphis Union Mission for 20 years now as the shepherd to the homeless. There has been a building project has been underway now for a few years, and I think most of it's completed. And there's some other parts of that project that are trying to be completed, like the worship center, some more dorms. That's another reason why you're doing this ride, 60-mile ride on Saturday and asking for donations, because dollar per mile can be donated at the website, as you mentioned, and that money collected can go toward these other special needs of the mission. How will the new building serve the homeless community better, do you feel, than it has? So for all these years, we've been in this real small building at 383 Poplar. We were really limited to the ministry we could do because of how small the building was. And by the way, can we stop there? Now, you hosted a show for me on Mid-South Viewpoint, and you had our dear friend Betty Stallnecker, right. who sold a gospel album for five bucks, and money went to help build that original building, not the original building, but help build that building that we know now. Right. 383 was built um, 1961. 162, and the money that was made from the silver albums helped pay for that building. That's correct. Yeah. And so anyway, we, we built a new building. We moved in it the week of Thanksgiving. We went from 17,000 square feet to 57,000 square feet. 
It is the nicest place. I really want people to come and see and take a tour. You just can't get over. Everybody that walks in, it's like, wow, this is incredible. We've added some dorms. We, the biggest thing that we needed was a circulation area for 200 and some odd men to be able to sit down and not be crowded in hallways. And it's just been tremendous. I think it was $23 million, that facility, to have it built. When we moved in, it was paid for. But we don't have a worship center. And so now we're building a worship center in four more dorms. That is scheduled to be completed sometime around April, May. Now, corporations will give money toward beds and stoves and widgets and things like that, but they really don't want to give to a worship center. And if you know Memphis Union Mission, we exist for the purpose of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have chapel twice a day, every single day. And so the worship center is going to be the key, the heartbeat of everything we do. That's why I'm doing this is to get out and raise some money to help go toward that new worship center. Jeff, what do you say to the folks that say, you know, $23 million, isn't that just absorbent amount of money to spend on the homeless community? Well, that's what people would think, but what does it take to build a earthquake-resistant building that can house, you know, hundreds? When we're done, they'll have 320 beds. So it's not that it's plush. It's built really well. It has to be a building that is not only earthquake-resistant, but it's got to be tamper-proof. It's got to be built in a way where men that have mental illness come in that tear things up. They can't tear up the building. And so it had to be built very strong and very sturdy. And I think you guys have put a lot of intentionality into the design Having been in our city now for how many years total? 70, 1945, so 70-something years yeah. we've been there. Wow. So you've had the experience, and you know how to care for homeless people, doing a wonderful job all, all these years. What's required for someone to enter the mission? Sometimes I've been out going to Sam's, and somebody will come up to me, hey, can you give me some money so I can have a night at the mission? Are they using you as an excuse to get money, or what's happening? Bingo. <laughs> so, yes, the number one excuse for panhandling is I need money to get in the mission. The charge that the vast majority of them say is $7 a night. There is not a mission in Memphis that charges $7 a night, okay? When we moved into this new building in the week of, of Thanksgiving, we became the first free shelter for the uh, city of Memphis. So every men's shelter has always charged money to get in. And it's ironic people feel bad about that, but it's like every shelter has been full. If it was such a bad deal, why are we full all the time? A lot of these guys have income. But anyway, we're free every day now. They can come and stay every single day free of charge. They check in between nine in the morning and two o'clock in the afternoon. And so by doing that, our numbers have gone up. We're getting more men off the street and more men in there hearing the gospel. So our lunch crowds have gone from 40 to 50 to over 100. People love it because we're getting guys off the street and into different So programs. I've noticed there's been some posts about shortages of food and stuff, needing to pick up some supplies, because you get no government support at all. Not a dime from the government. So when you request that, these these are actually tangible needs. Have you been to Kroger or Walmart looking for food? In other words, I've never seen a time when I go to the grocery store and not everything I need is on the shelf. And so that's true for us, too. Places that used to give us food have really backed down, and so we do need more food coming in. Well, we're moving closer to the holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas. Are there any special opportunities that listeners can help during this time for the mission? Canned goods. Uh, and the gallon size, I call them the gallon size. The bigger the big ones, cans yeah. are, will really help out. Uh, but that is something we need is canned goods. And we can always use desserts around the holidays. People can just donate pies and cakes and stuff like that. Toiletry items, clothes, I mean, is that something else you're constantly looking for? Well, if you think about it, we're sleeping between 275 and 300 men a night. So when those guys take showers and we need 
underwear. And I hate to talk about underwear on, but we ask churches <laughs> to do an undie Sunday wherever. Undie Sunday. Yeah, I every love that. family brings in a package of tidy white underwear, okay, <laughs> uh, for men to wear the briefs. And they donate that to the mission. And that enables us to have clean underwear and clean socks year round. And so people think about the homeless and, and the, our needs around Thanksgiving and uh, Christmas, but we do this every single day. Yeah. I noticed recently your son Dylan preached at the mission. Of course, he's on staff at the Orchard Church uh, out in Collierville. What's that meant for you to see your son called to the ministry, serving the Lord, and coming and preaching where his father serves? It's just incredible. Um, you hate the word pride, but I'm very proud of my son, seeing him grow in the Lord. He grew up following me down at the mission. He, he was five or six years old when I went down there. A lot of the guys that have been there for a long time, they know him and they love seeing him come in. And just the energy he brings in to hear him preach and to see him growing in the Lord has been tremendous. And so, uh, man, it, it's just a lot of, uh, I hate to use the word pride no, there, okay. but just a lot of uh, proud moments of my son following in my footsteps. What's some advice that Papa gives Dylan about ministry? Number one is to have a little laughter. You know, a lot of young guys want to come in, especially seminary students. You have, I have to be careful of this, but they want to talk about what they know and get in the Greek language. And these guys just want to hear somebody come in, teach God's Word with a little humor going along with it. Dylan has that. And the other thing is the mind can only receive what the posture can endure. You don't really have to go an hour, hour and a half. Let's cut it down and yeah. stuff. But he's doing yeah. a wonderful job. All of our speakers do a wonderful yeah. job when they come in. That's awesome. Now, recently, as you mentioned, you returned visiting historic and biblical sites like the Valley of Megiddo, the Mount of Olives, the Sea of Galilee, and Jerusalem. What was that experience like for you personally? How were things that were previously formatted in your mind about the land of Israel before going to Israel redirected with a new and fresh perspective? One thing I will tell you, that standing on the Mount of Olives and looking over to see how far Caiaphas' house is— to where they carried Jesus. He was arrested here. They carried him there. And the distance to go to that. Uh, when we drove up to Sea of Galilee, we spent our first few days at Tiberias. And the distance Jesus traveled, he and the guys traveled to get to these places on foot is just tremendous. To know that Jesus walked around 68 miles just to be baptized. And so the number one thing that impressed me was how far these guys walked in the life they lived. The second is the ruggedness of the rocky terrain and know that they, you've seen the caves and people lived in those caves and stuff. And so that was tremendous as well. Going down in the tomb, that always affects people. The one that got me the most is under Caiaphas's house, there's a, a dungeon down there that they say that they dropped Jesus in. And so we had a little talk there and then everybody went up and I laid down on that dungeon floor thinking that there's a possibility that last night that Jesus was alive on earth before being crucified, he laid here on this ground. And it just really grabbed a hold of me there. Oh, Jeff, you know, the same for me, too. When I was standing on that mosaic floor in the burn house, which was Caiaphas's place, standing there and realizing that that was the floor that Peter stood on and denied Christ. And I'm standing in that same place, believed to be. Some places there, they've got covered up. You have no idea if it's exactly right. There are certain right. locations like the Southern Steps. You know Jesus actually walked to the temple. Right. You know, you go to the Pool of Bethesda where they're renovating that. You know you know that that's the you know real place. But it does. It's so sobering to think about being in that place 
where where our faith was began rooted in. And, and there's true. We don't, you know. I went to the place that they say that Jesus was born, and I got to get down and touch the star that's there, yeah. and, and that's pretty nice. And we don't know if that's the actual place, but we know Jesus was born. We know that he was alive. We know that he died on a cross. Even the the, hip, the skull. We don't know if that's the exact place, but right. it could be. But when we went to the tomb, and then we had the the communion there after. It just what an incredible time to have communion at what we believe is the tomb of Jesus. Yes, that was a special time. And so it really heightened my faith. It really, you know, I had no idea how it would impact me. And I can tell you this, I want to go back. Yeah. Once you go, you want to go back. And I, yeah. I don't know, we don't have sabbaticals at the mission, but I would love to spend a couple <laughs> weeks in Jerusalem just simply to spend my time to go where I want to go. Yeah. And so maybe one day. Maybe we can do that together. Now that I've been a couple of times, I think it would be better to go on a smaller trip instead of with a bigger group so you could just take your time, get around, not worry about a lot of everybody else, but just really concentrate and reflect on those different places. What about some highlights or really maybe unusual things that happened on your trip and encounters with someone, a, a unique experience with one of the sites? Well, going to the uh, Western Wall was just tremendous and seeing the Jews come in and worship and we got to go there with them. Then walking through uh, the Via del Rosa, and that's through the Muslim area. And of course, I tell people I'm a follower of Jesus, but I am a student of Islam. And so to stop and talk to some of those guys about the Quran and about who Jesus is with them was tremendous. And so I really wouldn't call them witnessing times, but they were times to plant seeds about our faith. How has your view of the gospel changed, maybe deepened or expanded since you first encountered Jesus Christ, since that first time where you said yes to Jesus at Kensington Baptist Church some 40 years ago? It has been a 40-year road of repentance and growth. I wish I would have known about discipleship 40 years ago. I didn't know it until I bumped into Herb Hodges. I've been discipled for the last 20 years and been discipling other men, and that has been the biggest shift, was spending time pouring my life into men and discipling them. But uh, just that continued growth, I'm still learning, still learning in my quiet time, still learning to pray, uh, still learning and praying for patience. And in that 45 minutes from Kayville to downtown Memphis, that ride that I take uh, is a time of praying and, and Lord, let me be patient today. Let me be kind today. Let me be a proper shepherd instead of a mean one, you know. And, and so I'm still growing in Christ. Jeff, the Apostle Paul said the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What's that power do you think that Paul's referring to? Well, that's a great question. The power is, of the gospel is the power of God. We're down there with guys that are struggling with drug addictions and all sorts of addictions, and, and a lot of people come for rehabilitation. But what they need is an experience with Jesus Christ. And the gospel is the only thing that I have ever seen that will make somebody a new creature, a new creation. And so some guys come in and they uh, they come for one reason to the mission, but they hear the gospel. You begin to see the Holy Spirit working in their life. You know, when we cast out seeds, we broadcast seeds of the gospel and it falls on all different types of ground. It's neat to watch that seed take place and someone begin to get it. Then in time, they begin to grow. We have to be patient 
went through that mature time. Not everybody just stops doing everything immediately. Yeah. And so watching them grow and discipleship is the biggest part of that. Any examples? Of, maybe I know there's probably hundreds, but uh, any particular example that stands out to you? Oh, I, I could, I could, we could do a three-hour show on those. But I always tell the story of Daryl. Daryl was down in New Orleans. He was living a life down there when Hurricane Katrina hit. He had to come to Memphis. He was running the streets of Memphis. Came through the mission. Got cleaned up in our program. He got saved. I baptized him. I discipled him. Uh, he went to our transition house. He lived there for a year. He was riding a bus every day to work. It'd take an hour to get there. He bought a used vehicle. And the two guys that were riding the bus with him, they began to pay him to ride to work and everything. He bought his first house, a three-bedroom house out east. And, and so what do you think he did with those two bedrooms? He rented them out to the guys that worked with him. And Daryl has done very well. I could tell that same story with Marlon Brown, with Keith Williams, and all these other guys. It's over and over and over when people come in, their lives are completely changed. And here's what I recognize, Byron, is that men that I know that have been clean 15 and 20 years that are still doing very well, every single one of them are plugged into a ministry somewhere, whether it's their church or some type of ministry, giving back uh, to help others, every one of them. That is beautiful, Jeff. That is so beautiful. Well, how have you seen, I can't help but think that the homeless community has helped to encourage and challenge your faith. Yes. When I went down to the Memphis Union Mission 20 years ago, um, I was walking through the chapel one night. Now, listen, I've never heard God verbally speak, but something in me stopped and said, there was a man laying on the mat in the chapel and said, Jeff, do you think that I love you more than I love the God? And the answer is no, God. And then it was like, do you think I hate his sin more than I hate your sin? And immediately I saw me laying on that mat and realized that I was possibly just a week or two from being there myself because I just shut my company down going through some tough times. So God, in the early days, showed me that I was no better than anybody. And so I have learned a lot about being around the homeless guys. I've learned to be humble. I've learned that I don't need as much stuff as uh, I used to think that I do. I've learned that, that just to watch the process of men being saved, the process of men when they relapse and mess up, how they need someone to come alongside and love on them, but yet be stern to tell them, here's why that happened. They're learning a lot through the preaching of God's Word, and I'm learning a lot from them. What's been one of the darkest, most difficult moments for you while serving at the mission? Uh, do you get ever depressed? Do you get discouraged? And how do you deal with seasons like that? Yes, uh, there's been days that the best view of Memphis Union Mission has been in the rearview mirror, uh, <laughs> but there are those days. There are days that uh, people publicly ridicule what we do because we're the big guys in town, so we're the one they throw rocks at. There are people that question what we do. There are a lot of people that do not like the fact that we have a chapel service twice a day. They do not. They think that we're forced people to go, and we don't. We encourage people to go, but a lot of people just simply don't like the gospel that we stand up for, and that gets discouraging. It really helps. So I have other pastors that I talk to. I've got a, a group of men that I'm held accountable to, and that helps out a lot. When I get discouraged, I can go to talk to Dr. Randy Daniels and sit down with him and share with him, and he and I can just pray for one another and bounce some thoughts off of each other. Yeah, because there are times when we do get discouraged. It seems like the weight's so heavy. But heaviness is not too heavy for God's hands, and he seems to find ways to pick us up. You know, here recently, it's not been discouragement, but it's just been worn out. Here's why. With our new building, we're running wintertime numbers in the summer. So used to, we'd have big numbers in the winter, then we'd drop down low. But because of this new facility and how nice we are, you know, we're sleeping probably almost 100 men every night, more than I have beds for. 
And so I've got all these beds. I've got a couple hundred beds right now, but we have 140 mats on the floor and a place across the street for another 140 mats. So we've never turned in a man away because we're full. But we're running what I call wintertime numbers throughout the summer. That causes me to have to stay later. We have a lot more men in there, and there's a lot more trouble that goes on. And so it's been tough this season seeing so many men come in. What is that saying to you about where we are in the economy right now and how it's impacting our community? Well, there are a lot of people that are, are suffering right now. There's a lot of people that have lost their homes. There's a lot of people that have lost their jobs. But I'll also tell you there's more people hiring right now than I've ever seen. We had about 20 Venezuelans came in. ICE or someone dropped them off at our front door. Luckily, not all at the same time, but over a period of two weeks. All 20 of those guys uh, were able to find jobs and get housing within two weeks. And they didn't even speak English. It was just incredible. These guys came in hungry. They got jobs. They moved out. So we're literally not only reaching the Memphis community, but there are people from other nations that come in there as well. Wow, that is beautiful. Okay, now this Saturday is the big day, 60 miles. Have you got air in your tires? I pumped them up this morning. <laughs> I'll pump them up again Saturday morning. going to head out between 530 and 6 a.m. Now, will you ride this thing straight 60 miles? Will you take a break? Will you drink water along the way? Or I'm packing water. I've got some. I went and bought some of the uh, energy gels that I'll have with me. I'm going to stop about every hour and a half for just about five minutes or or so. Um, and, and if I have to, I will stop. But I'm going to try to do this thing all the way through. I've, I've kind of planned out my trail of where I'm going to go. And um, I think I'm going to do you, well. Do you have a place where you're going to stop, have a, a reception, and people can, you know, greet you and cheer you into the finish line? I thought about that. But no, I don't believe I will. Because so. <laughs> uh, I don't really know. You're not sure your course yet. Well, I know pretty much, but I don't know if it's exactly 60 miles. It may be 65, it may be whatever. I know this, that if I get back toward the house and I still got a mile or two, I'm going to circle the block a whole bunch of times. <laughs> so make sure your computer batteries are fresh too, right? Right. Well, my watch, my Apple watch does that and I have my phone with me and they, they measure all that. Okay. So the big thing for our listeners now, you can say, go Jeff, go, go Jeff, go by giving $1 per mile at $60. Donate, donate it to the Memphis Union Mission. And Jeff, give the details how they can do that. Once again, it's memphisunionmission.org. Go to the donate button, hit that. When you drop down, you'll put in the amount. And, you know, some people are giving $50, some $100. It doesn't have to be the $60. As a matter of fact, we've already raised $500 and they haven't even ridden yet. Make sure they put destination project would be Go Jeff 60 and that way it would be given to that. And I'll let everybody know that I don't get to see how much people give. That's not my business, all right? But uh, they are giving me a grand total. And uh, it will help. All that money will go toward our brand new worship center down at Memphis University. Yeah, they're not going to buy you a birthday present. No, they won't. No, no. <laughs> no, they won't do that. It's all going to the mission. Right. Great cause. Friends, come on out and support Jeff through this ride on Saturday. You might see him in this bright red, fire red bicycle that he's got. Uh, what kind of bike are you riding? You know, I don't know what to, It's a track. I okay, bought it yeah. from um, the Paddler uh, back when they were the Paddler. Yeah. And so anyway, but I'll have on a lot of bright yellow, have blinking lights all over me and everything. Uh, that's fantastic. Well, friend, again, go to the website, memphisunionmission.org. Hit the Donate tab, then type in or choose the amount you wish to give, and then select Go Jeff 60, as he said, under the project destination. It's all there on the website at memphisunionmission.org. Support Jeff. Support the mission. Great work for over 70 years. Doing incredible work for our homeless community. In the name of Jesus, sharing the gospel and the power of the gospel to transform. Jeff, God bless you, my friend. God bless you. It's always a pleasure, Byron. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.